May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. Thank you to the bell choir. Wonderful job this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading uh, from the book of Acts, our first reading. Big idea is a healthy church is a faithful church. A healthy church is a faithful church. Uh, the context for this reading today is the book of Acts, uh, Pentecost. Jesus has ascended. Um, the disciples are now asking and wondering, okay, what's next? Where do we go from here? They're a little nervous about what's, what's on the horizon, and they find themselves in the upper room on Pentecost. Spirit comes. Spirit fills them. Peter opens the windows, begins to pray, and 3,000 people come to faith. The normative pattern, normative pattern for Christianity has always been the gospel is preached, people repent, people are baptized, and they begin to congregate and fellowship uh, as the body of Christ in a particular place with a particular group of people. Um, the gospel is preached in such a way that people recognize their need for salvation. They understand that there's a gap between God and themselves that can only be bridged by what Christ did for them on the cross. That leads to that sense of repentance, a changing the way I think, turning around, moving away from the world and going back to God. Um, and typically you, you would be baptized. It's a sac one of the two dominical sacraments. Baptism in and of itself, again, is not salvific, but it's part of typically what it means to be a Christian. But it, you don't need it for salvation. As I say, the thief on the cross, as far as I know, was not baptized. But Jesus said, this day you will be with me in my kingdom. Okay? But it, it's a very, very common initiation into the faith. And then you fellowship. Jesus kind of put it this way. He says to the disciples in Acts 1, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was, this was his plan, that this message would be taken from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. I just want to talk to you today about one verse, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. That's kind of what defines church, defines how the body of Christ really operates when we come together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. The word devoted means ongoing, single-minded, focused, intense, and persistent are all pretty strong words. They cared about it. They said, this is who we are. This is how we operate. It's like a sports team. You know, we practice together. We play. We prepare. We get ready. We execute the game plan. That's what we're doing here when we come together uh, on a Sunday or a Wednesday or any other time that we're doing what we do. The apostles' teaching is the word of God. Um, it's basically what Jesus taught. You have the, the, uh, the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter, 
and Paul. It's the story, the history of, of Jesus. Um, and then the amplification of that as we go through the New Testament. What you find in the book of Acts is the preaching of Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul writes to Timothy, Follow the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard the truth that has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. He says, guard the truth. We need an unwavering commitment to biblical preaching and teaching. I think that's especially true today because there's a pressure to conform. There's a pressure to change that to conform to a societal understanding of what would make them more comfortable. We don't get to do that. In many places these days, Christians are seen as the enemy because we have a biblical worldview and we care about truth. It, it happens when, uh, we're going to hear from Val Reed here just a little bit. Val is the executive director of Education for Life along with that, the Women's Pregnancy Center. When you're pro-life, in many quarters, you're seen as anti-women. That's not true. That's not true. We care about truth. Life is from conception to natural death. Okay? It matters. Are we willing to speak up? When it comes to the simple thing like, what is a family? There's a godly understanding of what a family is. We don't get to just make that up. What about gender, male, female? Boy, you say that today. Stand by for heavy rolls, as they used to say in the Navy. The idea of sexuality. We're going to have a graduation here, so, so, and I'll get the kids up, and I'm going to hold my wedding ring up, and I'll say that they don't have them. I'll say, you see this? No ring, no sex. No ring, no sex. You don't get to do this outside of marriage. Gee, who said that? Hmm, I read that somewhere. God said that. There'll be pressure on you to do exactly the opposite. Not what God said, but what the world says. Resist it. That's kind of a strange thing to say in this day and age, don't you think? Work. You don't work, you don't eat. Hmm, read that somewhere. Um, merit. We're destroying our system of merit, working hard and being rewarded for hard work in our society. We're trading that in for identity politics. It's not good. It doesn't lead anywhere good because that's not God's plan. In Oregon right now, they're making it very, very difficult for Christians to adopt children because of things like what I just said. Oh, you're pro-life. Oh, you think there's just two genders. Oh, you think this or that. Hmm. We don't want children being raised in that kind of nonsense. In Washington State, they just passed a law that says if you have a child who wants to transition to another, the other gender and you don't want them to, the state can come in and take your child away from you and there's nothing you can do about it. Why anybody would live there, I don't know, but that's kind of the, what we're up against these days when you have a biblical world view. It's a challenge to be a Christian. But I'm also encouraged let me just say, um, Eleanor, our daughter, has been going down to Nicaragua, and we'll have 50, 60, 70,000 people who are hungry for the word of God and the gospel. And the local pastors are, local pastors are 
following up with this kind of thing after they leave those meetings. Franklin Graham just had the same kind of thing happen in Vietnam. We had it here at the WEC, Fire and Glory. We're seeing it happen more and more in various places, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that. So don't give up. There's a desire to be culturally relevant, seeker-sensitive. Um, this is who we are. You can live stream, yes. Water down the Bible, no. Vernon McGee puts it like this. Some of you may remember this crusty old gentleman named Vernon McGee. Now the question arises, how can you tell a true church from a false church? How can you tell the genuine from the counterfeit? Is it by the name that is out front, by the sound of the bell, by the fact that it has a pulpit and that a minister stands back of the pulpit, that there is a robed choir, that there are ushers, the service opens by singing the doxology and closes with the benediction? The mark of a church is not the height of the steeple or the sound of the bell. It is not whether the pulpit is stationed in the middle or the chancel is divided. The important issue is whether or not they hold to the apostles' teaching, the word of God. Correct doctrine was one of the fingerprints of the visible church. And that was true when he said it, and it's still true today. The most common description for Christians back in the, in the days of Acts was not in the book of Acts. It's not believers, it's disciples. Disciples, people who have, are, have been trained, who have been brought up in the faith, trained over a lifetime, need to stay true to the deposit handed down to the saints. Jude, Jude 3 puts it like this. Beloved, being very eager to write to, to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down and delivered to the saints. Contend, fight for the faith. Don't give it up. Don't give in. We don't get to change it. Stay true to the word of God, the apostles' teaching. Then it says fellowship. Fellowship, getting together for mutual caring and involvement with one another. In the fall of the year, Linda, a young woman, was traveling alone up in the rutted and rugged highway from Alberta to the Yukon. Linda didn't know you didn't travel the white horse alone in a rundown Honda Civic, so she set off where only four-wheel drivers normally venture. The first evening, she found a room at the mountain, in the mountains near a summit and asked for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she could get an early start. She couldn't understand why the clerk looked surprised at that request, but as she awoke to early morning fog shrouding the mountaintop, she understood. Not wanting to look foolish, she got up and went to breakfast. Two truckers invited Linda to join them. Since the place was so small, she felt obliged. Where are you headed, one of the truckers asked. Whitehorse. And that little Civic? No way. This pass is dangerous in weather like this. Well, I'm determined to try, was Linda's gutsy, if not a very informed response. Well, then I guess we're just going to have to hug you, the trucker suggested. Linda drew back. There's no way I'm going to let you touch me. Not like that, the truckers chuckled. We'll pull one truck in front of you and one in the rear. In that way, we'll get you through the mountain. All that foggy morning, Linda followed the two red dots in front of her and had the reassurance of a big escort behind as they made their way safely through the mountains. Caught in the fog, 
in our dangerous passage through life, we need to be hugged with fellow Christians who know the way and can lead safely ahead of us and with others behind, gently encouraging us along the way, we too can pass safely. We're not in this alone. We need each other. We need to work together, support one another, love one another through good times and bad. Adrian Rogers puts it this way. He elaborates on the tuning of instruments. He says, now we have a piano here and we have a piano there. Those pianos ought to be in tune. I was listening this morning. They are. Those pianos ought to be in tune. Now, I don't know a lot about tuning pianos, but I've read this. I believe it to be true. It's virtually impossible to tune one piano to another piano. But if you get a tuning fork and tune that piano to the tuning fork and tune this piano to the tuning fork, you know what happens? Ipso facto, they're in tune with one another. When you're in tune with Jesus and I'm in tune with Jesus, then, friend, you're going to be in tune with me and I'm going to be in tune with you. I mean, that's what happens when we pray. We're seeking God together. That's the question. Are we all in tune with Jesus? If we are in tune with Jesus, we're going to be in tune with one another. We're going to be able to work together better, accomplish God's goals better than we do. And, and it, it doesn't matter if you're in a family, if you're in a church family, if you're over there at the uh, Education for Life, if you run a business, if you're a teacher, you've got a classroom to think. It doesn't matter. If the people that you work with and deal with and associate with are in tune with Jesus, things are going to go a whole lot better. We partner, we share lots of common interests. Here at Christ the King, we have Stephen, we have a lot of ministries. We have things where people get together. We just had a, on Friday, we had a big funeral. We probably had 25 people contribute to the food. We had more food left over, I tell you. We had, we had a ton. But people come in and, and they, they just make it happen. They work together to make it happen. The altar guild, you know, no matter what the season of the year is, it's always right. You know, it's just, they care. They care. And they work together to make it what it needs to be. And we have so many ministries. They have, they have a book, they have a thing out there, bookcase with about 40 or 41 ministries in it where people actually get together and work together for the betterment of God's kingdom in this place. Breaking of bread. We come together for the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of the bread. This is communion. This is Holy Eucharist. And whenever I do a funeral or a wedding, I'll explain it this way. And I'll say that the Holy Eucharist is on a spectrum, and it all comes from the Last Supper. At this end of the spectrum, you find the words of Jesus. This is memorialism. The words of Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me. Nothing sacramental about it. Maybe every month or quarter or something like that, you'll have a, a juice cup and a wafer, and you remember the Last Supper. At the other end of the spectrum is the real presence crowd. We're out, we hang out down here. We key in on the words of Jesus that say, this is my body and this is my blood. And again, I always say, you know, the elements we use are bread and wine. Do a chemical analysis after it's done, it'll still be bread and wine. But we believe sacramentally we take Jesus at his word, this is my body and this is my blood. That's something spiritual happens, something sacramental happens, something mysterious happens, that those elements take on a different character and nature than they had before. We keep them in a, in a tabernacle, a reserved sacrament. And that when we 
come into contact with it, we're coming into contact in a tangible way with Christ. And it's a very powerful, a very powerful experience for people. You take him at his word. I love the fact that sometimes, you know, the story of the judge who's going to communion and he's kneeling next to the guy that he's sentenced to prison. He's served his sentence and now he's in church with the judge and they're kneeling together to receive communion under the cross of Christ because there's no distinction among anybody when you kneel down together in the cross. Jesus commanded it. Um, Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Father Tom is going to say those words in just a few minutes as we celebrate that Eucharist. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. It unites us when we come together to receive communion. Again, it's a sacrament, but it's not salvific. It imparts grace. It's tangible. We have prayer. Uh, when I think of prayer, I think of uh, the word acts, A-C-T-S. We have prayers of adoration. We praise God. We have prayers of contrition. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I've done wrong. We have, um, we have prayers of thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for all the blessings of this life. I thank you, Lord, that you are so faithful and so good. We had our auction last night um, over at the uh, center, over at the uh, top of the world for the school. And it was a wonderful event. It was called Havana Nights. And uh, they budgeted a gross intake of 85000 Oh, There's probably about 20000 in expenses. They were hoping for 100000 At the end of the night, they had $180,000 plus. That's a record. Never had anything quite like it. But God is doing something amazing. And it's going to happen. That building is going to happen. You know? We pray in our liturgy. Well, and then we have the, the ACTS, a supplication. Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication is probably what most of us pray. That's how our prayers, we're asking for stuff. Supplication is asking. So we spend a lot of time asking God for things. Um, and he very often responds well. We pray in our liturgy. We've already prayed um, this college for purity, we, we, at opening prayer, where we say we have all our cards on the table. We're not hiding anything. Our hands are open. Nothing, hiding nothing. We want to come before you in purity, honesty, and openness. We have the collect of the day. The collect is the name of a prayer that the prayers of the people are collected and offered up to God. 
and we say that it's a seasonal collect. It's a Sunday by Sunday by Sunday prayer that's, a, that's appropriate to the season or the particular day. Um, we're going to have the creed. We're going to you know, express our faith, what we believe in the creed. We're going to have the confession of sin. We're going to have the prayers of the people. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to do the post-communion prayer. We pray a lot during the service when we come together. It's just part, again, of who we are. And so they came together and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. A healthy church is a faithful church. But a healthy church is also not a fearful church. No fear. And when we are expressing ourselves in a biblical way in the society in which we live today, there's a tendency for people to shrink back because they're afraid of what others might say or what might happen. Or I might offend people. Are you going to say, I'm not coming? Well, God bless you. A healthy church is a faithful church, but it's not a fearful church. No fear. Now, Vitalis watches every week. I'm going to play a video that is his favorite song, okay? And it's called, I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear. Vitalis, this one's for you. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. i 
healthy church is a faithful church, and a healthy church is a fearless church.